It's another weekend, another Farm to Wardrobe podcast uh, with LD13 as the host. And today we are on a farm, uh, as promised, and we are on Mama Farm actually with Isabella Rosalini joining us today. Uh, true honor um, to have her join the podcast family. And yeah, we will dive in today um, to get to get to know Isabella, of course, um, but also like. Um, she's telling us why she started Mama Farm, uh, what the whole project is, why it is Mama Farm, and um, yeah, what she has to do with, with Parsons uh, and collaborating with, with us fashion school um, to uh, raise importance about heritage breed and uh, yeah, the farm to table movement in general. And it should be very, very exciting. And yeah, I can't wait to, to dive into it. Let's do it. So how did we both meet? I think it was 2019. When yes. We went to your farm. It was 2019. So I I had started this farm, Mama Farm, and uh, I I was fascinated by Paddy uh, Gentry, who he's the farmer who cultivates heirloom. Heirloom is rare non-commercial varieties of tomatoes, spinach, uh, asparagus, and not because they are not good, but we, they are not good for the industrial farming. They might not take long trips, so they might bruise, they might have a short uh, shelf life. And so they came out of fashion. And then that's why the big agriculture is based on monoculture. You have corn, but just one the same type. You have uh, carrots, but it's one the same type as monoculture. And then I discovered that the monoculture also exists with animals. And since I was interested in having at the farm of animals, I thought, you know, this little artisanal farm like Mama Farm can play a role in biodiversity, and not only in heirlooms, the vegetable, but also in saving farm animals, breeds um, that are endangered. I started with chickens, and then I, of course, I worked so much as a model and I, there was a very big movement on food, farm to table, organic food, but you don't have the same in fashion, and yet fashion is agriculture, fashion, cotton, flags, wool. <laughs> so to me, this is a pleasure. I study animal behavior and conservation, and when I wanted to start the farm and have the animals, is because indeed I wanted to witness this interaction. I was familiar with dogs, I lived in the city, and I always had a dog in my life, but. I didn't have chickens, I didn't have sheep, and it was interesting to see the differences and the similarities. Uh, and uh, so we met, I called Parson, they were very interested, and uh, we said, well, you know, we start with very small step. I said, well, ask the students if they want to come visit the farm. And at the time I didn't have any sheep, I just had five sheep that belonged to my friend Lida, who really has the sheep for her dog, Elsa, who makes them run. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, I have to show, and then I'll take I'll take the photo, the, the painting, and uh, uh, so we had those sheep, and uh, Elsa, the dog, gave a show of how she herds the sheep. I called another neighbor, a couple of neighbors who had sheep and uh, Angora rabbits, and they came, and I think I was very touched to find out that then you, Lisa, were so inspired um, by that meeting, and I think the conservate the. The responsibility toward conservation feel very strong. And then if you like fashion, you just say, how do I go about it? And that was the beginning of a hand, you know, saying, oh, come along. There might be things, not that I know much, right. because how do you commercialize it? How do you beat Merino? 
the monoculture of wool is merino, it's very soft, uh, and the other wools are soft, uh, are we used to this, this wool that will never go back? Uh, then there's a lot of questions, of course, uh, right. and I don't have the answer. But, you know, you're living a lifestyle, and it touched both of us, Ellie and myself, and I think the more we showed up to people, that's uh, how we want to go about it, it inspires also other people. And always when you show that passion, I think it moves people mm. too. Well, you know, I, I, of course, you know, I have to say that I have made money in the commercial world of being a model on right. films, and films I've done also a lot of experimental film, but you know, so I made a living and I can afford having the farm because the farm is very difficult uh, financially, but it's not me. It is the problem of the organic farm, of all artisanal organic farm. And yet there is a lifestyle that even Patty, you know, Patty was a chef in a commercial restaurant right. and she decided to be a grower. And I think she's much happier now that she's a grower. Francis, who is a friend of mine who's a chef, is now ser serving food in a huge restaurant that uh, and he prepares about 600 meals a day. And he doesn't really want that. His right. dream is to be able to work, have a farm, like Mama Farm, right. and serve 100, 200 people locally. And we make, you know, so we're working also with him to get to that. Right. Is it viable financially? How is 200 people, 200 clients enough? Should it be more? I mean, of course, the organic vegetables are more expensive than, than uh, but also that, you, the audience, you know, some, at the beginning people would come and say, Patty's salad is $5, I can buy it at the supermarket for two. Right. Yes, but they are organic. You can come walk at the farm. You can uh, have seasonal vegetable, which is so informative. It's, you know, the, at the supermarket you find strawberries in December. Uh, when you eat seasonally, it's like Christmas, you know, we are waiting for <laughs> June for strawberries and you're waiting for August uh, to have finally tomatoes and basil. I, it's a, comp and it, a completely different way and a wonderful way that has been lost. Right. And that's the part that is lost right. because they're only concentrating on making money, which is okay, it's responsible and all that, but it's the lifestyle that is lost. And, and I think a lot of people like you or Patty or me have decided to make less money, but we had enough money to to start something, and now it produces money to maintain a lifestyle. Right. But I think you, Patty, would be very difficult to say. You know what? I'm going to buy a ticket and go to Paris for a month. I don't think she can afford it. So there is a yeah. lot of sacrifices too. Yeah, mm. I agree. But at the end of the day, we leave with a smile. You know. I agree with you. I mean. I think that there is very strong, I think it's very strong in this generation, in your generation, and I feel it very strong, that there has been a capitalistic, I mean to use a big word, a promise that you make as much money as you can, then you can buy the life that you want. You buy the farm, you buy the house in the country, because you, but, but all of us had found ourselves, that none of us had invented, you know, apples, so, <laughs> that we were working so many hours at something that more or less we liked. I mean, Patty's interested in food, I love films, but when you work 14 hours a day and you travel all over the world and Patty's at the restaurant standing 12 hours a day, 14 hours a day, the lifestyle wasn't really good. And, and there was never enough money uh, to live the way we wanted to live. And so we said, okay, 
let's live the way we wanted to live yeah. with less money and then of course the trip to Paris uh, the vacation might you know might not be a season re yearly thing um, it might be that once in a while somebody says would you like to come or you have points on, <laughs> on your credit card whatever um, but it can be done and I sense that my Everybody who has a restaurant farm to table doesn't make the money that a McDonald's would do right. or a Starbucks. Right. But they are working with their chef, the chef works with the farmer, they know the farmer, the client can, re can go back. And so it's three steps and you find the field with the carrots. That's what is a farm to table restaurant. Right. And the taste is incredible and you have to see how happy the sheep are. It's a lifestyle. Yeah. It's a lifestyle. Yeah. So why is it called Mama Farm? So Mama Farm, so, so when Patty came, so, I, so what happened was, I mean, this is my home and it was a farm, but like a lot of farm in Long Island, the land has been sold to develop it and a lot of people from New York use their second home, a weekend home. So I bought this, they were going to, have to do, demolish it and I loved the feel of it. I think in Italy there is the city and the country is not as separated right. as it is in America. So this made me feel more at home. And, uh, and so I bought it and transformed it into my house. And this is where I live. The farm is about, a, the farm, the land that we cultivate, where we have most of the animals, is a mile from here. And it was a, a land that belonged to um, a monastery. It was a retreat for priests. It had 40 acres and the land had been divided with the big house and 10 acres uh, and then the 30 other acre was sold to a developer, has this land of this farm, to build 12 homes. And I did a fundraiser with the community to buy that big house that we wanted to demolish actually, to just have 10 acres for us to walk in the woods, bring our dogs, because we saw that all of it was going, right. and that you only have pieces, you know, everybody has his own two acres or one acres, and there is n not anymore a place. You can take a car and go to a national park, but we want to go out from a house and walk in the woods, you know? Right, right. So the community bought, uh, with the help of Suffolk County, because they, they, you can apply for grants from the state, and uh, there is funds for called open space, because they recognize that the community and the way it really works financially is that you have you have a home uh, that it is on one acres, but it's walking distance to ten acres open space. Your house acquires more value. Mm -hmm. You know, in America, everything is money, mm -hmm. so it's almost like buying an apartment in New York. And if you're very far from public transportation, that apartment will cost less than the one that it is private but very close to the subway station, one block away. Right. So it's the same thing. So we were able to convince the community to raise the money right. to buy the CEED, which is next to our Center for the Environmental Education. Eventually, it's now is rented by um, Eric, who's a ranger, who wants to do a wildlife center. Hmm. The 30 acres, yeah, so, uh, you know, he, he does lessons and he has a, a summer camp for children. So it's ideal, because the, the ideal neighbor. Next to the 30 acres, the developer was going to build 12 homes. She got discouraged and she called me because I was the ringmaster of the 10 acres. And she said, do you want the rest? And at first I said, oh, I don't want to develop 12 homes. What am I going to do? And then through the help of the Peconic Land Trust, which is you know another organization 
who's in Long Island, whose mission is to save, preserve farmland in, in Long Island. We bought it with an operation of tax, tax breaks and all this. I was able to buy the land, have a very big advantage due to tax breaks, so financially wasn't as burdensome. And I created the farm. And Patty came. Uh, she was a chef. She had decided to become a farmer already. But she couldn't find three, four, five consecutive acres in Long Island. So she would do people backyards. She would do carrots and tomatoes at, uh, you know, Renee's house and the Jennifer house. <laughs> she would do the corn. And she was always in the truck and she always forgot the the instrument it was very uncomfortable wow. so when I and I met her when she still had that so when I bought the piece of land she came and she brought all her business at mama's farm but her business is called early girl farm so I didn't have a name for my farm at first I said Patty do you want to call early girls so it's plural so you still have your name just in case you don't get along and you want to take your farm to Pennsylvania, you still own the name Early Girls, singular. But here we are Early Girls. And she said, no, we didn't know each other. And she was afraid to lose her control of her trademark and what she was trying to do. So I didn't give it a name for a long time because I thought, how do you explain two names in one place? And then people started to call it Isabella's farm. And that's what I didn't want because I didn't want to be the focus on me. And a lot of people also, started to laugh about it, saying, oh, it's like Marie Antoinette, uh, like Isabella mm -hmm. is like Marie Antoinette with her farm, and it's like, uh, and I, and I, as I also learned that it was an incredible gift to the community. I did it because I was interested in animals, and financially I could see that with the tax break and all that, I could afford it, but I didn't want to have this um, picture of a crazy actress that spoils herself with the farm. And uh, so it really is meant for the community, and I learn more and more. And the community, most of the community, is mothers who come with their children because they tell the children, this is the carrot, this is the chicken, and this is a duck, these are the baby chicks, and there's walks and there's wood. We have saved 30 acres of wildlife in the woods, and we are created a corridor that connects to other uh, preserved land and national parks so the wildlife has corridors to expand and walk fur further. Then there is a place for the domestic animal, now the, the sheep, the ducks, and then there is patty in the heart of it. And so the fact that we have clients that are mostly mothers, the fact that most of the animals are female, because the chickens who lay rooster don't lay, lay eggs. So we have one rooster and 150 female. Bees are all female. Only 10% of their population is male. Sheep, you want the female. You don't want the male because the male can become aggressive. And um, so everything was female. So we said, well, and then it's also me and my daughter now is running the farm. It's our business. So, and Mia was his mother, so it is mama farm. And, and also, also I think it marries a little bit with early girl because I'm a little bit the mama of Patty and in a sense that I have the, you know, I've created the opportunity and now, and then I, Patty and Lida and Brian who does the flower, they inspired me. They came to me with these ideas and I thought, oh, this can be a lab for ideas and that's why I'm now saying to you, you know, the students that are interested in Mama Farm, 
use it as a lab, but we are at the beginning, so I need your also your input. What works, what doesn't work? And little by little, you know, there's been other people that came and didn't take. There were a person who wanted to start a little nursery of indigenous plant to Long Island. Because indigenous plant to Long Island will require less water, uh, the insect, uh, including pollinators, have something to feed. So when you do your garden and you say, oh, let's put this flower and that plant, just based on aesthetic, you are starving bird, you are starving insect, and you are consuming a lot of water because this plant needs to be attended, so you also need a gardener. or so. But if you do native plants, they're happy here, they're born here, and so are the animals. So, so, for example, there was a company that wanted to start a little nursery of native plants, and I would have loved to, but it didn't take, because at the beginning, there's no money, and so you have to do a lot of work uh, for free until it takes, and then, you know, you'll never become rich, but you create a little bit of an economy that you can survive. Right. Yeah. And so that didn't work because of this financial problem. It didn't make enough money fast enough for them to survive. Interesting. So is that also how you got into heritage breed and everything? The heritage breed, uh, so I was studying at the university. I always liked animals, and when I, st I stopped working as a model and an actress, not that I wanted to, but I, there was no work for me because they don't want old people, they don't want old women, you know, so I worked less. Then my children were grown up, I couldn't even be a mama. They were in college, they were moved on, they lived with their boyfriend and girlfriend. So I had a lot of time on my hand, and I always liked animal behavior. I liked it since I was a child, and I always read about it and went to conferences, but it was a hobby. I, when I was little and I thought about um, study animal behavior in Italy, I'm Italian, um, the university didn't offer the course. There was zoology, biology, and I was like, uh, I wasn't a very good student. I thought, I'll never, I'll never get it. I'll never get there. <laughs> uh, and I also like fashion. I, I attended l'Accademia di Costume e Moda, which is similar to Parsons School of Design. They also offer costume designing, and since my family, my mom is Ingrid Bergman, my father is Roberto Rossellini, both worked in, in the 50s, 50s, 60s, 70s, until they died in films, a very successful career. I liked films, uh, and uh, so I, re I stayed in the domain of my family, just because I knew it, it was available. I thought for a while to do agriculture, mm -hmm. and I had thought about having a small farm, because I, I remember visiting the small farms and befriending, befriending some farmers, and going to visit them and staying for weekends, uh, and always thought it was fantastic. But it was a, it was, it was, it was the 70s, and that's exactly where in Italy the slow food, the fast food, mm -hmm. not the slow food, the fast food came, and the slow food movement, with whom I'm very linked, right now, came very strongly right. to protect because they said rightly so. You're not, it's not. It's a question of food and quality of food, but it's also a question of lifestyle. If you let only the McDonald's, or if you let uh, the supermarket, you lose the marketplace that opens up in Rome, ev in every city, every day. Is to have wife having friends meeting while they go buy food. We buy food every day. We don't refrigerate anything. So you lose uh, 
uh, the little uh, restaurants, uh, all the little, that cook right there in the market, what has just arrived from the country. So you break up a, um, a network of uh, human relationship. Right. And the slow food was very um, conscious of that. Uh, but I was caught in the middle of it, and the slow food had just started. Nowadays, they even have a university in Turin. I would have gone there, but they didn't have it then. And so every time I said, I'm going to have a small farm, and the people would say, are you crazy? It's like saying, right now, I'm going to have a business of um, letters and envelopes. And people say, everybody writes email. Are you crazy? It's, it's, it's going to be obsolete. And so I stayed in the family business. Right. <laughs> but I'm glad you did it later on, you know. And it now inspired so many other people, like Ellie and myself, to rethink our lifestyles and do things that we are actually passionate about, you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad to hear that, you know. I cannot tell you how this is for me is the greatest, um, is the greatest satisfaction because sometimes I say to myself, but do I do things for me and then I say that I like and then say, oh, somebody else likes it too. It's not only for me. <laughs> and instead, you know, my people say she's got, she's crazy and spoiled. So it's so important to me that you and Ellie and Katya and hopefully others have been inspired because it is hard but I tell you that also it's hard to have to create uh, you know a fashion house uh, that sells as much as Gap or Banana Republic uh, Dior Chanel or or even smaller version of that as it is very hard and maybe not as pleasant right. either so you really have to say what you like and if you like this it's possible but we are pioneering. We are pioneering. Right. But it worked for food. You know, there are friends who really have restaurants, are farm to table, and they can pay for the bills for their children, send to school. It's possible. I think it's possible for fashion. I couldn't agree more. And if you look behind the scenes, behind fashion houses like Dior, you know, they just still do it the system that we are doing it when they harvest their um, scent for their perfumes they go to the farm harvest the flowers at a certain hour of um, time and then they make the perfume out of it and I'm like what if we do it the same way about the materials that we source and then make um, beautiful clothing with it and actually can tell the story of the people who, who help us make it and uh, know about the materials and all the values that come with it and also of course the story i i do agree with you and i think that the definition of luxury is nowadays maybe the definition of luxury changes along the decades but nowadays where everything is so massive you know because of the internet i think that there will exist this massive thing like netflix so you're a, you have billions of people watching film in netflix or amazon but also you would have the incredible small art house that is curated and, and you can go there and meet your friend and have a glass of wine and see the film and discuss it with friends because they can't do that. Right. And I think that that is the same thing with fashion. And I think that actually the big houses, haute couture, haute couture houses, Chanel, uh, Dior, Louis Vuitton, they were able to, you know, I think they, first of all, they started like this, artisanal places uh, 
And then when he became the prêt-à-porter, and the prêt-à-porter became so important, and there was a, a bourgeois, a middle class, that now could afford clothing, but not at that level that they were selling to the princes of Qatar, you know, not a, a 20,000, 30,000, 40,000 dollar gown, but they could spend $2,000 or $1,000. So they were losing clients. No, there was a whole group of class. They could afford a little bit more, but not that much. And they created the Prêt-à-Porter. They're ready to wear, which is designed by the great artist, whether it's Yves Saint Laurent, or Jean Galliano, or Coco Chanel. And then they produce it in the factory, and they produce enough pieces that the price can lower. And they still maintain the haute couture. But the haute couture is maintained because the French government is only exists in France. Now Dolce Gabbana is still trying to do it in Italy. Uh, and they wanted to call it alta moda because the government is paying subsidies, because they realized, the government, is that you would lose an incredible culture that has lasted for centuries of embroiders, yeah. of uh, needlepoint, of, and they wanted to sustain that. So the Dior, the Chanel, they have incredible support from the government and tax breaks to support that. That was so clever. It was such a foresight. And I think now that there is another way, which is our way. We don't have to belong to the Louis Vuitton group. Yes. Uh, you can start your own. Uh, and you started your, as a we have clients that come, the CSA, we cannot produce enough for the CSA. The CSA is, um, is cooperative agriculture. So we sell, you cannot buy, you, you need six eggs. You cannot buy six eggs at Mama Farm. The chicken produce the eggs, we have, hundred clients and every week we'll distribute the share of the eggs <laughs> and it's a little complicated because sometimes you say oh but I need 12 eggs today and I can only get five how do I do that but people learn that there are seasons and then you think of your food with eggs now March April that's where the chicken lay a lot of eggs don't think to make a, a big souffle in October because you wouldn't have the eggs. They're going to lay less eggs in October. Right. So you, it's it's a culture, but also uh, you acquire this and you don't have to read anymore the book saying the season, how does the season influence the chemistry in the plant and you read this book, you don't understand anything. All of a sudden it becomes so clear. Yeah. And we have 100, 150 members of the CSA. We, we vary from four, 45 to 150 because Patty can create a fed vegetables for 150. I can create eggs only for about 45 people and also egg, uh, honey. Maybe eventually I will have more chickens, which is a possibility I'm, and I'm looking into it. But the demand is enormous. The demand, we sell, when we are open the CSA, we send an email to the friends and they send it, they send it to other friends. We filled our 100, 150 spot in two days. <laughs> I mean, I bet, because, you know, the taste is different. It's very special. And, and they can come, make yeah. the chicken, make them. And can it be also done for fashion? You say, the wool this year, we only have 15 sheep, so these 15 sheep may not be able, I mean, a sheep will create, depending on how big the sheep is, each sheep can, what, can create one or two sweaters, right? right. Uh, maybe two sweaters a sheep. We have 15 is 30 sweaters. Maybe it's enough. 
but he said, sweater is incredible, and you can meet the designer, and you can meet, and you can talk, and it can be personalized items, um, because it can be made, uh, as Katya made the sweater for Lida, with the motif of her husband, uh, Malcolm, drawing, Malcolm was a painter. Uh, that, to me, is very luxurious. That sweater will stay in your closet for 20 years. Right. And that's another definition of, uh, of uh, can it be sustained? Do we have to create a, the fashion that changes, 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 so you can buy, 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 and you maintain? I mean, that's one model. But there is also the, another model, I think. Yeah. So I think it comes down to what you're saying, having a personal connection and less is better at the end. I think less is better. I think everybody felt nauseated with the amount of things there is in our closet. And also, we don't wear it. Mean, we wear half of what we have. More, more, you know, we wear all the same thing. Is there something to be think about? I do a, you know, nowadays, uh, I think like we, that I would dream to have a base and then something that I can put each time to decorate. But the one that I put on, I want to be a sweater from my sheep, something that made me think of the connection with Parsons School of Design, or or something that I had in Paris, but not just simply Dior, something that really has connection to Paris, like Ellie's idea of finding buttons or reproducing stamps, or something that it is in your memory. We don't know yet the answer, but I know there is a big story there, and we just have to unfold it, you know? And I think it's a good definition of, of, um, of, of new luxury. Like with food, you know, I don't really dream to go to a big fancy restaurant. Jean Georges, of course, I love Jean Georges. I go there, I'm happy. But to eat Hattie's vegetable and to have them, that is the same great feeling of uh, luxury and, and pamper. So, this is Malcolm Morley, who was our local painter. I mean, he has painting at MoMA. Uh, at the museum in Paris, in London. And that is the portrait that he did of Elsa, the doggy. Uh, that is the herder. And this is what Lida, Malcolm's wife, did. The first sweater that, that she did for my grandson Ronin, done with the wool of her sheep at Mama Farm. And that was so inspiring to me that I didn't give it to Ronin, but I framed. And I keep them together, and, you know, because I think there is as much heart here as there is here, frankly. And I keep telling her, because I know my husband is a great painter, and so are you. And this is the first, uh, this is Katya. She did this uh, little sweaters. Uh, Katya was the first uh, student from Parson um, to have done a collection. Eventually she did sweaters that had motifs of Malcolm Morley's painting, which I thought it was much more powerful. But this is done with the sheep at our farm. And I think that little by little, maybe in a few years, I have a whole collection that will tell the story. <laughs> Just a question of reading. We can't wait for it. <laughs> we can wait for you to create history. Yeah, sometimes it's just that observe, seeing, observation. When you you and Parsons started, what was your idea to...? Well, I really... So, my idea, it was that I felt frustrated being somebody that loves fashion. I kind of, I eat organic. I don't, I'm not religious, I'm not vegan, I'm not organic. 
but you know, it's a pleasure to go by at the farmer's market, to know the farmer. And I didn't have the same when it came to fashion. I love designers like Dolce & Gabbana, but it's more an idea mm -hmm. that I can anchor mm -hmm. to their village in Sicily right. or their references to Italy, but not the production. Mm -hmm. Then, of course, there's the great Stella McCartney, and she is very uh, conscious about um, environment. In fact, it is her inspiration, how to create fashion. But I, um, I wanted something... Uh, I thought that can also, can it, can't it be done at a smaller scale, not with these huge, big names? Um, and I called Parson, just really having in mind to put him in touch with the Livestock Conservancy, that is the Association in America Foundation, that lists does constant um, uh, survey to see how many rare breeds of that sheep or that cow or that pig are remaining in America. And, and, and they, so they, then they list them like the wild animal, critically endangered, in danger, recu re recovering. And we small farms can help. So when I buy my chickens, I first go to the list of critically endangered. And then I go to the hatchery trying to buy those chickens so that I can help them financially not to lose that biodiversity. Right. And biodiversity is very important. Do you know why? Do you know there is a bank of seed yeah. in, in, in the north? Because we can have, if you have a monoculture, you can have a disease, and we know they can come, yeah. like Corona, right. and it can kill completely all the potatoes that we have, or all the corn that we have. Yeah. But if you have a variety, a slight different change genetically, that could be the Adam and Eve of a new potato, a new uh, a corn. Right. These diseases happen all the time, and by that biodiversity is to guarantee that things will survive. It isn't monoculture. Monoculture can go bam, right. because one disease can come and kill them all. And it happened. It happened in Ireland with the famine of the last century when there was a big migration to America. And it's also the same thing with animals. And our farm can contribute to biodiversity and also to the community. You understand all this. I didn't know it. I have a master's degree in animal behavior and conservation. I always studied elephant, I always studied lions, I always studied hippopotamus, I wasn't studying what is in front of my eyes, what I eat every day. Right. Uh, and it was amazing to me. So when I called Parson, it was, we have to inform. It was more than anything, you said, we have to inform. And they said, how? And I said, well, I've got, we can do maybe livestock conservancy, can do some conferences. But then just come and bring the student to see the animals because when I, when I read things, I can hardly understand them. Right. When I see it and touch it, oh! It's different. Wool is covered with lanolin. If they give you a pot of lanolin, you say, how does this is be on the sheep? But if you touch the sheep, you can feel that there is, it's not like touching our hair. Right. It's slightly different. Oh, it's lanolin. And then you separate it. Mm -hmm. You cook it, because of course, fat can be separated with water and heat. Uh, so everything is, if you try to read that, impossible to understand. You just can't picture it in your mind. And you see it is so clear. And that's why I said, have the student come. And then I met some students say, well, you are the first one. Lisa said, I would love to come. And I said, come. And they gave me the idea of a residency. Oh, I'll give you a bedroom, it's a residency. We'll start like this, you know? Right. Yeah. 
know if it like I never believed that I will be back here again but there was always that dream to collaborate with you and luckily um, yeah we are both here and get to experience it and yeah I, I am very grateful that you're here because you validate my feelings I mean it might be that we all go starve but we have Patty's vegetable and we have the eggs so we are not going to starve <laughs> you don't have to worry about that and we can experiment, uh, and I'm sure there will have to be compromises, and there have to be it's going to be difficult. Uh, but it's a a better adventure to me. It's a more inspiring adventure that let me go and work in a big uh, company and uh, be an apprentice and learn how to be really obedient. And then, thirty years from now, I can have a position. I don't know, can it be faster? Can it be I start tomorrow with some sheep, I eat pan carrots, we'll make do. <laughs> and 30 years from now, who knows what we have? Something surprising. You know, I really learned from great people, be it mentors, be it friends. And if you are curious and keep asking questions and, you know, look over the eye of, or over the shoulder of somebody else, like, for example, studying you, like how you, how you observe animals, for example, really inspires me because then that that's where you know you go deeper and ask those questions what where does the material come from exactly and also how you would um, you know the shearing is a very controversial and uh, incredibly enough the re so the shearing traditionally is paid by how many sheep you can right. shear so it's done very very fast so you have very big muscular men they, like a rodeo wow they grab these sheep they, the sheep are maybe herd into, you know, a place, and they're all like this, and then you grab them, and they are completely panicked. And Stephanie, a woman shearer, looked at that. She was a computer engineer. She works in San Francisco. And she didn't like what she was doing. She also wanted a change in her life. And she said, you know what? This animal, they need to have an injection every year. They have to have certain medicine every year and I can change the economy. I can say to the farmer, I come shear your 300 sheep and will take me a week. But I can also, so she's smart, she went to a veterinary school, I can also inject them, I can check them. So all of a sudden, it was fantastic. The, the animal had their annual, it was done in a week, the person stayed there, observed what the farmer was doing, he might say, you know, you give them too much hay. Maybe you shouldn't give them hay, but you should give them grass. It seems to me that the wool, you know, all of a sudden it became a knowledge and it wasn't these things of force and it's the number of sheep you... So she is paid by half days or full days worth, depending on how big your herd, your herd of sheep is. And it's amazing. It can be done. It, and the animal are not suffering. The animal are not panicking. You can do it more gently. You can grab. You also have to immobilize them, but but it, you're not. It's not like a rodeo that they think they're going to be eaten. You know, because I've seen them. They're panicked. So it's this idea that men can dominate animals, but men can be friendly with animals, as we are with dogs, as we are with the, our pets. It can be the same with farm animals. I mean, we see it live here when you call the sheep. The sheep are coming. <laughs> And oh. <laughs> where'd they go? <laughs> All right, well, that wasn't a good shot, but... <laughs> well, sometimes, because this is noon, they go there because there's a big spot of uh, sun, and they sunbathe. Mm. They like that. <laughs> they know. They know how to do it. <laughs> yes. They've been around they the block. They're nice people, you know? 
when the vet comes, uh, uh, everybody disappears. <laughs> the vet comes, and of course, sometimes he has to inject them or give them medicine, and uh, and he's a very gentle vet. But still, they know. Like when we're children, we go to the doctor, and it's funny, isn't it? That everybody's like walking around like the Garden of Eden, and then Doctor Andreessen come. And the mo even before his car, because they can hear better than us, even when his car is making the corner or to come to the farm, wow. everybody disappears. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> They're smart. They are. <laughs> this is crazy. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. I, I you know, I always say, Dr. Andreessen, tell me what time you come, because I have to lock the chicken. Because otherwise they disappear into the woods because mine they forge whatever, the 30 acres, so you can't find them. It's like hide and seek. Yes. Oh, boy. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's what I love about animals, because if you look at them, you see yourself in them. Of course, but I think, you know, for a long time I thought that it maybe was because... Uh, um, I was an old lady in loving animals and I projected my maternal instinct into them. But absolutely not. We are made of the same. We have a lot of things in common. We have a lot of genetic in common. And to me it's amazing to see, for example, when we are surprised and go, and we are kind of froze and we don't blink and analyze. That expression I've seen in all the animals at the farm. When I brought new animals to sheep, they stunned, they freezed. What's that, you know? Chickens the same. There is that thing of staring, and you can see the brain going, what, you know? And it is exactly the same expression. But that is, there is a continuity. Of course there is a continuity between us and animal. And of course, you know, the scientists are very worried about anthropomorphism, you know, like we say we are like animals. but. Also the opposite and saying we have nothing with them. Also that's absurd. Of course we have something in common with them, a lot. And a, a lot of the basic thing, fear, mm -hmm. one of them, mm -hmm. um, anxiety, mm -hmm. uh, serenity, I'm not saying happiness, but kind of serenity and being calm. Oh, this is an enemy, this is not. And so you have to behave accordingly. Mm -hmm. and, and you establish yourself, I'm not gonna hurt you. Or if I am going to hurt you, it's just momentarily. And then, you know, when they, the sheep have the injection, and then Dr. Andreessen goes, that day the sheep, if I try to come close to them, they go, mm, Isabella, you betrayed us. But then, you know, and within two days, they say, okay, most of the time she's nice, so we'll come back to her. <laughs> like we would, like we would do, right. you know, like exactly like we would behave to a friend that, you know, hurts us, and then we forgive, or we say, well, most of the time he's nice, or she's nice. <laughs> So what are your future plans with Mama Farm? So my future plan, I mean, this is with the, the fashion. It's a future plan. Uh, I like to start things. I don't know that I like to maintain them. You know, I like to do the farm, but then I have to find Patty to do the vegetable or maybe Rito to look after the animal. I, of course, I have an oversight. I can follow, I can, I'm here often. But sometimes I leave, you know, and you know, like in the, I'm leaving in 10 days, I'd be gone for three weeks, and so you have to create a system that can function without you. I, I will, I'll I continue to do my shows on animal, animal behavior, they're comical shows, uh, and I can give you a clip if you want. 
They're comical shows and I would like to continue them. Uh, and all of a sudden I see that everything is connected. You know, I always thought that my work as a model and as an actress was completely separated from my work as a farm. Now I see that my love for fashion is the same love of agriculture. As I like to eat an organic salad, I also like to wear um, organic cotton or wool that has a history um, that I feel I'm not damaging the planet, but I'm helping, that I'm not part of an ignorant, uh, destructive force of masses, because, and I'm contributing my little destruction. I want to be aware and, and contributing to the good. Uh, and I, I think I would like to, so I'd like to continue my work with uh, comical work about conservation and animal and behavior, uh, like my green porno, I, that was my first title for one show. And now I stick to all, all the works that I ever do. Sorry, everybody calls it the green porno. And, but they have other titles, but for the moment they stuck with that. And, uh, and then continue Mama Farm. And my daughter would manage the bed and breakfast, the cooking lessons, the gardening lessons. Uh, um, and I am going to start, I like to start this, you know, the seed, for example, of, uh, of the collaboration with Parson or other fashion places and maybe I find a manufacturer who will be interested. And so you student, because that's such a difficult moment in life to go from studying to profession. And then if you want to invent a profession, it's even harder. So how do we create these um, possibilities? That's what I'm going to concentrating in the last, because it will take a few years, four or five for sure, to establish it, then, then maybe it has a little bit of his leg of his own, you know, Patty doesn't need me anymore, or my distribution of eggs and honey doesn't need me anymore. Right. You're the clue that, you know, sticks everybody together and connects them. Just remind me of the little story that you shared with us the other day of the, I think it was doctor, and he started his farm now in New Jersey, right? Oh yes, my daughter. <laughs> right, and it's like you inspire people with that lifestyle, and then suddenly those become friends, and those friends yes. become collaborators. I think that my doctor Frank was inspired because he is a wonderful. Um, so I had a back, back, huge back operation, and Frank Robb is my doctor, and my a surgeon, and. Uh, He's a wine connoisseur, and so we liked each other. We were became friends, and so he invited me once to dinner, and we had you know try to taste wine, ate a fantastic dinner, <laughs> and that was his passion, and uh, and uh, and then he you know he had a wife and a child, and he wanted to have you know a place where they can go in the in the uh, and I said well come see my place, and he saw the farm, and he said you know I always thought I should buy a house with a swimming pool, a tennis court. Why can't I have a farm? I said, well, I do. You know, you instead of investing in a tennis court and a swimming pool, you could start a vineyard. And he did. But not only that, because he has a daughter who's not interested in wine, but they can have ducks. And then I said to him, well, that, then get the heritage breed. And so now he has his little... And there's a lot of people from New York, even bankers and people from Wall Street, that buying farms in Long Island, but they have that in their heart. They love that. And they say, of course, why do I have to have the swimming pool and the tennis? If I'm interested in agriculture, let's have a farm. And it's so much better for the community. Right. It's creating a network, it's creating friends. It's so much more than, you know, just a farm. Um, yes. <clears throat> and sharing that food um, and that wisdom and those stories with one another. 
um, that reminds of, of our ancient roots almost. Of, of ancient groups? Eh? And roots, yeah. Roots, Yeah, yes. where, where history comes from. Absolutely. And, and yeah. I mean, just the blankets that you showed us that, you know, similar people thought about similar things when we all had our own language, but in this, but interestingly, we thought about the same shapes or same colors. And <coughs> probably because they were natural color. Yeah. Or they came from natural color. When the chemical, chemical color came and they were very bright or very then it didn't remind, it didn't have that familiarity. Right. And so maybe the old ancient textile, they have this nostalgia of something, because I'm sure they're doing mostly chemical too, but there is that. Yeah. I agree, I agree. I have two more questions. Yes. The one is, how do you want to re be remembered? Yes, yes, I saw you asked that question. I thought, oh, remember, who's going to remember me? I mean, uh, I, I hope my children will remember me or the friends will remember me. But, you know, memory is not so long. It doesn't last long. So I hope that I will be remembered as a good mother because I've worked a lot. And for us women, it's also very difficult to have a big career and also raise your children. Yeah. And uh, I also divorced, so I raised my children as a single mom. So it was all... This is still very complicated for women. In the time of COVID, I've seen so many women giving up their career to be home with the children, homeschooling, couldn't, couldn't do a Zoom eight hours and the children, and you know, they're three years old, you know. So um, uh, I hope they, that I be remembered by my children as somebody who had a career, so I didn't have to sacrifice for them because I would hate uh, to have a ma I would hate and ruining anybody's life, even my own mother. I was very happy that my mother had a huge career and she was really happy acting. In the years that I was a little girl, I was sick for two years and my mother stopped working because she could be with me. In one hand, I was very grateful. On the other hand, I felt so guilty because I felt I was ruining her life, uh, you know? And uh, um, so I hope that I'll be remembered as a good mama. And, and now I'm good, kind of a good nonna. Nonna is grandmother in Italian. And Nonna has a feeling of a bigger reach. I only have one grandson, and my daughter is pregnant with her second child. But I feel very much the Nonna of a lot of kids that come to Mama Farm, whether it's Alma or Ocean. And I also have the Mama of their mothers, you know, who are my daughter's age. And I think that in America, this breaking of the family, this family defined by. Sorry, uh, mama, family is defined by mother, father, and children, young, because at 18, they're gone. And, and you don't have that community. Uh, it, it has been an advantage, a disadvantage for women. You know, I can see with my daughter how many times I can go and help her with Ronin. And if I wasn't here, she would have to have a babysitter. I would leave, and then if she has not re remem she hasn't remembered to buy the wine, the milk, uh, how does she go? Hey, hey, Marcy, shh. Um, so, hey, Marcy, the sense of community and supporting each other. So, as a nonna, as a grandmother, I feel that I'm the grandmother of more than just running. So that's, I hope that people remember me like this, but I mean, besides them, I'm not going to be remembered. But the farm might continue. You know, I always say, it's very important that the farm becomes financially independent from me, because I want to live beyond me. That's why also I didn't want to be called Isabella's farm. Right. 
But mama, it's always ever mama. Right. I always like tell people like if uh, like for example my parents ask me how is Isabella and like she's just that Italian mama. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> and you know you we experience that even you know as, as you know as. Um, collaborators um. but yes but you know this experience of agriculture and animals there is a lot of women and I wonder if there is nurturing that does it or the fact that women have to also reinvent a position a professional position in society and we may not be trained like men I have to make money I have to make money because somehow we have been trained somebody's going to take care of us which might be irresponsible but it's less pressure. I think a man would feel very humiliated right. not to make money. So the possibilities are more open for us in this generation. And the women are more experimental. Patty's a woman, Lida is a woman. Um, Ryan is a man, but he's gay. And I don't know if it helps, I mean, not that he, a gay man is like a woman, but he's also searching for an identity. Um, my daughter is interested and she's, she's very interested in motherhood and all the ramification of motherhood. What do you do for education for your children? What do you do to entertain? And she has created an incredible program for children at Mama Farm right. of music and doing your little vegetable garden and uh, come and play with the other kids and discover wow. nature. You know? Instead of being in a room in New York City <laughs> with a photo of a cow or in a photo of a sheep. Or drawing. 100% more. So my last question would be, if you have any questions for Ellie and myself. Well, uh, for Ellie and you, I have questions that I, it really is, how do we make the residency more efficient? And I think it will be more efficient once the bed and breakfast is ready, because we'll have a big kitchen, there will be a program, so there will be things that you can naturally, and an exchange of people also, it's almost like the Greek agora, you know, the piazza where people meet. And so you meet Patty now, but maybe if we have the sheep there and the shearer and the chef uh, and the, you stay for three weeks, you, you create a network. Right. But if there is any other thing, well, I would love, because uh, you were absolutely my favorite <laughs> of the student that came. I thought that you inspired you, you were, uh, um, open to possibilities, uh, and that you would open, you would really um, count on Mama Farm as a place uh, um, uh, to always continue coming. I mean, the, the great thing is that we're very close to New York. First of all, there's many beds, so there's always maybe a season. There is always, but, you know, things that are done in nature, they have longer, takes longer. It isn't something that it can be consumed in three weeks. Three weeks, it's a residency to start the conversation. Right. And so you tell me, for example, Ellie, you said you wanted to have flax, and all of a sudden, I wrote to Brian, and oh, he said, I wanted to do flax. I don't know, also Brian is thinking what he's going to do with his life. He may not come back, so, but maybe he can collaborate. You know, things, things are born like this. I think you say it organically. Yeah. You know, you just let, you just let it happen. Right. Right. And, and sometimes, what is this resin? What is it? What do I do? Right. And you can, and they can hear it from you. And some will say, oh, I'm available. I like to try. Right. Some will work, and some will, will wouldn't work. You know, they come and they say, yeah, I wasn't interested, or it's fine, but. Uh, At least they got thinking about it. You know, thinking about it. And whoever hears about it, they will know next time that 
them buy something as you do it with clothes, with food. Yeah. Uh, you don't say, I, I'm, I'm going to buy a chicken. You don't have to buy it at a special, uh, you know, farmer. But you go to the supermarket and you say, no antibiotic, organic, or free range. There is some definition that now you have a choice. You don't not have a choice. Oh, what a beautiful chicken, so big, look at that. That, that you know that chicken is full of hormones mm -hmm. or has been tortured, is only seven weeks old, but pump up, to, you know, that, that his skeleton cracked under him. Who wants to eat that or mm -hmm. promote that kind of uh, industry? Yeah, because we are also giving values, like experiencing values here. And I think that's so important for this um, residency too, to experience those values and then pass them on to the generation after us. And I, I, I it's very important. You can start small, you yeah. know. And for you, it's very important to pass it on to the generation. And we might ask Brandon to create a, a, a class or a presentation, like we did with Katya, mm -hmm. that next season we'll do it with you. And you show everything, all the way to the steps, hopefully, of the general store or another store that would sell your items. And, and maybe also it can give you advice. Like, there's this beautiful really haute couture pieces that you've done. There are 10 or eight pieces that you do for your dissertation. How do you take one element of that that you can decline and create a better porte kind of, and you can create fast 20 pieces? And then how do you find a clientele? Well, the CSA can be, a, you know, our 150 members can be the beginning, but then we can associate ourselves with the local little museum, because mm -hmm. Long Island has a lot of farming, and, and other idea will come, you know. I mean, yeah, that's a that's a big dream to really start some a local system here yeah. and get independent, as you say, just not only the farm but also as people, as designers, as women. And I think that's so that's important. That's why it's Mama Farm because Mama is to be is feminine and is nurturing and is the beginning. Right. <laughs> that was a beautiful last sentence. It's the beginning. And thank you so much, Isabella. Thank you. Alrighty, I think we have it. It's another Farm to Wardrobe podcast episode um, that we have done today on a farm uh, together with Isabella Rossellini and Ellie um, helping us out here. And yeah, it was a true joy joy to uh, yeah to get into behind the scene and get into the farm to table movement that is has become really like also a fashion concept for the two of us, for Ellie and myself. And yeah, I can't wait for uh, you guys to listen to it and it might be inspired. I don't know, but we were truly. And yeah, I hope you guys tune in next for the next podcast. And yeah, thank you so much. And yeah, the Farm to Wardrobe podcast saying goodbye. Bye-bye. <laughs>